0: So, Bill, we often say that parents should be the primary disciple makers of their kids. What does that even mean?
1: Yeah, it's funny how we use language and then you start thinking about what it really means. And you're like, "Hmm, what does that really mean? Um, I mean, I would put this in the category that you are the primary disciple maker. You're just either a good one or a bad one. Mm. Like You're training your kids and the consequence of your training it isn't determinative you're not sovereign you're not god so but you are it's it's a responsibility that is given to you by god and it's a peculiar one no one else has the opportunity that you have and um, you're training them Mm -hmm. um, all the time and um if you abdicate that responsibility, then there's going to be a huge gap. And the content and the manner in which you do it is going to be really formative in your kids' lives, mm-hmm. your children's lives. And so, trying to be a, just be aware of that um, and to take that responsibility seriously, to realize that in a very real sense, I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account for the manner in which I did that uh, being conscious of that responsibility should, should cause us to be intentional. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the thing that I would just say as a pastor, I want people to know, I don't want people to be afraid that they're going to make a mistake. And it's, if you have a really conscientious person person who has a, um, a certain type of personality, then that, that, that can produce some fear Mm -hmm. and, and, be overly scrupulous where you feel like I have to do everything right. Mm -hmm. Rachel and I were infected with some of that. We were both firstborns. Mm. Um, We both are responsible people. We tend towards feeling more responsible than we are. Mm. And so um, we made some mistakes around that, but that seems to be more of an exception is that it seems like we have a lot of folks who are very confident and not very intentional sometimes. And they think, think, oh, this is all going to work out. And you can miss opportunities. Um, and we don't want people to miss those opportunities. And we don't want the next generation to not be intentionally trained mm-hmm. in what it looks like to follow Jesus in this culture. And um, so that's what we want our parents to be engaged in that. And, and to realize what a privilege and opportunity it is, and to be intentional about the work that needs to be done.
2: Yeah, can you reflect on that a little bit more? How, how do you think you have seen parenting norms change, just as you've been pastoring, and, and maybe from this, um, I've got to do it a certain way, to a little more uh, freedom that can result right now in, I don't know if you used the word, uh, you didn't use the word laziness or just kind of a hands-off parenting. Sure. What, what's, go, what's been going on for the last 15 years?
1: Sure. Well, when I got engaged in student ministry, um, that was 37 or 38 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's been a while. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know that, I mean, culturally things have changed the fundamental challenge of of being desirous of being the primary discipler of my children i don't think that's changed because that was one of the first things that i noticed in student ministry all those years ago when i was just finished i just finished high school i was a college student i was getting paid in the summers to do student ministry at my home church It was breathtaking to me, the conversations that I was having with people who were three and four years younger than me at the time that their dads had never had with them. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I wonder if some of that might even be a little better now.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But the game has changed so dramatically with the intrusiveness of the culture. So the world, the flesh, and the devil, same enemies always. Right, But... We thought things were challenging when in my early years of student ministry, which I did full time for over ten years. So all through my twenties until we went to Philadelphia and um, and I was the lead pastor of a tiny little church. Um, I was doing student ministry every day, and we thought it was challenging with you know um, music and movies and television, right? You know, like I remember when the movie Titanic came out and all of our kids were going to see that movie. And I was like, this is today's sign of the apocalypse, man, (laughs) this idolatry of romantic love. Right. And this myth is being presented in such a powerful way. And it was so compelling. I just thought, you know, there's no, we're not recovering from this. And now, you know, Taylor Swift is discipling our kids. Right. And, and parents. Right. Right. Because, now parents and kids are consuming the same media. And, and with the invasiveness of social media and the web and the reach of their friend group and how their friends, unbelieving friends, are being discipled, the, the pervasiveness of that, the, I don't, I, it's, that is the big challenge. And what that requires as a parent, the level of engagement you have to have, how you have to keep up, um, I've seen a big difference, even with my children who have ser- who serve in student ministry, the difference between what it was like for them to what it is today. And my youngest son is turning 25, and it's, it's different now because of just the pervasiveness of media, mm-hmm. and those voices are very compelling, and... And, I, and that puts a burden on, on the church, but it puts a burden on parents because you can't win once a week. Like, it's a soaker hose. Like, mm-hmm. it's irrigation. And if, if you're not engaged in the soaker hose and you haven't created, in the rhythms of your life, the opportunity to engage, and if you don't have credibility to engage and if you don't have thoughts to share— and you hadn't created those pathways, then that's the thing that's different. having a good youth pastor who's doing a good mini sermon and having one compelling event a week that ain't gonna get it done mm. like it's it's just a different you know you're at a at a nuclear war with a knife mm-hmm. you know it's not a gunfight with a knife i mean it's a it's a just a different it's a different thing
2: it it seems like parents are desperate to connect with their kids so they're choosing friendship
1: over discipleship yeah i mean that is that may be more pervasive you know our student ministry guys would um would know better i don't know if that's different than it was i mean i remember the parents who threw parties and bought beer for the kids right we were in high school so that's always been around i guess i shouldn't laugh when i say that but um The idea, we do, maybe this is the bigger issue, is that it seems that all authority is rooted in personal credibility with people now. Mm -hmm. So, like, I don't have the right to speak into anything in your life that you don't give me because you trust me in relationship with me. And which means that if I want to have a voice with you, then you have to grant that voice to me. Right. And so the way you get that voice granted is you have to know that I'm with you, that I affirm you, that mm-hmm. that is definitely right. different I, We build
2: up a relational capital around some of these fun cultural things.
1: Yeah, that's right.
2: That, that we're the same at. We both that's like right. the same things. So then I hope that I could speak into your life. But what do I lose along the journey of becoming... Equals yeah. No,
1: that's exactly right. I'm, well, and what I'm doing is I'm creating an environment of entitlement where I'm, I'm I'm, making a younger person, like as we're talking, I'm thinking about what I think about all this, okay, is that the sense of entitlement that you're in a position to evaluate me. And I'm giving you that ability. I'm trying to win with you on your terms. And not to say that there isn't a place for building credibility with people, Um and crossing boundaries that way, but if but if my whole life and I, and I do see this, if I feel like I have to answer your question before we can move on to addressing an issue, mm-hmm. I think that's a real problem. Right. Like if we think that we need to hear our three year old's voice on something, right. <laughs> you know, I just that is you're going to have a hard time ever getting anything done. Right. All you're going to ever do is be sitting around wrangling and talking about ideas with someone who's not qualified to make that decision. If we're going to wait a 15-year-old boy or a girl's opinion about something equally with their parents and say that we have, to, we have to relate to them on their terms about all of that rather than just say, hey, I, just, I need you to trust me on this. Mm-hmm. And I have, a, I have a backlog of trust that I've built. And now you're going to have to come under. Mm-hmm. I, I think the loss of that view of authority Um, And I think we have that in our culture at large, but but where we see it real clearly is with when you get into the teen years. Um, And it just breeds arrogance. I mean, we just, if we don't, if you go back to the language that we used to use, and we still use to a large extent of establishing authority of training, and this is a real conversation. I was just having this conversation with one of my kids because my kids have kids now. Um, Not all of them, but they're, that's the season of life where they are. And, and I was just encouraging one of my daughters-in-law who's um, overwhelmed with this idea right now. And I was like, hey, you, you are training that child to be happy doing something that they don't want to do, which is one of the greatest gifts you can give them. Because if they have to agree with everything and feel heard in every moment, then a lot of opportunities come off the table because they're just not going to get included much. Mm. But if they can learn how to do something they don't agree with or feel like is the best option, happily then they're going to be a lot happier person take spirituality out of it you know but if i can just be a good team player and just do what i'm told to do and make the environment better and not have an existential crisis every time something doesn't go my way Mm -hmm. then i'm just i'm going to be able to move on and live a better life right that's an important that's a skill that has to be trained and so i don't know how you train that skill if you don't have parents on a daily basis over who are making decisions that younger people are not consulted on and they just have to get with.
0: Bill, question for you, just as you are unpacking some of this stuff, this idea of building credibility, establishing authority, can you maybe like go back years in your parenting maybe help me help us see where you maybe failed in some of that. And then maybe where you won, you and Rachel won. Sure. Cause it'd be nice to kind of see what you're talking about here.
1: Yeah. So, um, I mean, if I were to go back, let's talk first of all about, um, where we won. So what I don't regret is being engaged on a daily basis and being there and being a part of it. Um, I don't regret um, teaching my children that they have to obey when they disagree and stopping everything. Like, I don't regret taking my children out of a restaurant to the car, correcting them in private, bringing them back in, making them apologize to people at the table for being a disruption, Mm -hmm. and then eating their mashed potatoes, whatever. I don't regret that stuff um, for not looking the other way and making an excuse for them being tired. That's training. I'm I'm, I'm thankful that we did all of that. I think my children are thankful that we did all of that um, because I see that as training them for the real world. Mm. So the way in which we did, I have regrets about doing that to make my life better at times, you know, and um to make my life simpler i have regrets around canonizing my personality making my personality the standard i didn't know i was making my personality the standard but where i was making something about god that really was about me so i need i feel a need for a pretty high degree of order in my home like cleanliness things being where they go not having a bunch of junk and clutter, which is just a personality and it's really a weakness for me. You know, it's, it's when I'm dealing with the chaos of the world. When I come home, I like for things to be pretty ordered well, You put four teenage boys, we have four sons in five years. So there were a lot of times that I externalized my stress and put that on them, and I made that a character issue for them. And... um And one of my sons is like me, and three of my sons are not like me in that way. And so I burned credibility on that. Now, they've been gracious to me so far, Now I may be paying for therapy in their 30s, but we've talked about all those kinds of things. But that was clearly a place where I was imposing my weakness, and I was spiritualizing it and putting it on them. And so I regret that. Now, Rachel and I had conflict around it. She tempered me on those things because my need for that's way higher than her need for that as well.
2: But when you say spiritualized, it, would you say that's, you made it a, a part about obeying God by obeying authority type thing?
1: Probably. And just, I, I think more what I did is my, I put more energy, um, into it than it deserved. You know, I made it a bigger deal than it was. And, um, And so, you know, I did, I just did dumb stuff. Like I came home from work and they had kicked their shoes off and they were in the front door and I took their shoes and I threw them off the porch into the front yard. So they didn't know where their shoes were. I was like, well, I know where they were before I threw them off the front porch because (laughs) we talked about this five times. I mean, I did stuff like that, you know, but I don't recommend that, but I can tell you this: that when they when they couldn't find their shoes, they started putting them in a different spot where I wouldn't throw them into the bushes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, or I just know. looking in the bushes. Yeah, yeah, no, just go look for them in the bushes. I mean, so I did. I mean, I could give a number of examples where I most of mine was by overreacting, and mm-hmm. I mean a lot of that stuff I I apologize for. Yeah, you know, so because I didn't absolutize it. But, and I think that's why it worked out As my kids were like, yeah, I mean, dad's just crazy around all that stuff. And, and, and as they got older, I, I realized I, I have less margin on that kind of stuff, man. I got to, I got to deal with me. Mm-hmm. And so that was a part of, that became a part of parenting as they got older. As I started seeing how my sin and my weakness was impacting them, which is very different for all their personalities. Mm-hmm. So then I had to go to and say, hey, man, I'm sorry. I'm making your life harder than it should be, and I'm, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. we gotta, we got to work through this, and we're going to have to make allowance for one another on this and, um, and have realistic expectations of one another.
2: Yeah, I think it's interesting to talk about parents as primary disciple makers of their kids, but also God using parenting as a primary disciple maker.
1: Of adults. Yeah, no doubt.
2: And I think that's hard when you're in the early stages, the establishing authority, because all your energy, a lot of, I wrote down the word energy. So much of this is about how do you steward your energy and how do you um, create margin, not make, not make things that shouldn't be made big deals, big deals, how to right size effort for outcome and then spend time trying to see what God's doing and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, the, the thing I heard you say earlier, if we're trying to spend all this energy to have relational credibility and capital with our, with our kids to get on this even playing field so that we can have authority, we just don't have energy to be an expert on the authority matters because we're spending our time trying to know the latest TikTok trends and be friends with our kids. Right. Um, so how think about energy, energy in different stages of parenting? What are what are some principles for how do you just steward not just masculine energy, but how do we, how do we steward yeah. the energy of parenting?
1: Well, I, I mean the first thing is you have to understand it's going to take a lot more time and you you are going to have to if you're not putting in the time early on um it's funny because once your kids get older it, the time thing is not as oppressive. Mm-hmm. Um, like people would ask me, so we had a son who played baseball, and they're like, do you go to his baseball games? I'm like, I don't ever go to his baseball games. And even like once he was in college and playing baseball, I didn't, I didn't go to a lot of those games. When he was in high school, I, I missed some of those games. And you're like, well, you weren't a supportive parent. I was like, he didn't care if I was there. That was his job. Now, if he had really cared, then that would have been different. Mm -hmm. But when he was young, I was at everything. Right. I mean, up till he was 12 years old. I was in the middle of his life. We were homeschooling in seasons and then public schooling. and We had a little bit of private school peppered in there. But, I mean, I was in the flow of everything that was going on up until he was 12. And then at 13 and 14, 15, I was in it, but I was not – clamping down in it. Mm -hmm. There was already a little bit of this is his life. And he was beginning, say, 14 and 15, especially to make some decisions. And I was kind of setting the table for him with those choices. So I think you have to spend the time. What I see people trying to do is get super personally engaged once their kids are teenagers because they're afraid. Right. And then not being as engaged structurally when their kids are younger making excuses for their children because they're tired or they're hungry or whatever when they're younger. Right. You know, they didn't get a nap, they didn't whatever. And then once their kids are teenagers, they're not making any excuses. They're trying to clamp down and control everything.
2: So we got it backwards. we got
1: to invert that. Right. And so now it takes a ton of energy when your kids are teenagers. But if you spend the time with the positive training, you know, when we think of discipline, a lot of times we think of corrective discipline And I would just say, if all you're ever doing is correcting, then you're probably not doing the kind of formation you need to do. That's one of the things that Rachel and I realized is that when we got to a new stage with our kids and we were realizing, man, he's just not getting it because we had all boys. He's just not getting it. And I feel like all we're doing is correcting him all the time and we're having to chastise and we're having to do all this. We'd have to back up and say, where's the issue in our formation? Where are we behind? What do we have to do to train him positively and is this an issue of we're not doing our job, or is this an issue of he's being stubborn and rebellious? Is this a weakness issue that he has a deficit in his personality? We' have to accommodate him? But you can see by doing that, that's, that takes a bunch of time and conversation, right? And so that's where I think if you're going to really disciple your kids, you got to be paying attention on that level. You got to have those categories to be thinking. Is this sin? Is it weakness? Mm-hmm. Is this my sin or is this my weakness or my expectations? Is this about me and I need a high level of control or is this about me and I'm overreacting to my my parenting and my upbringing that I disagreed with? Mm-hmm. That takes a ton of time and energy. And so for us when our kids were that age, I mean, that's what we were doing. Mm-hmm. That's our hobby. That was, we were reading about all we were thinking about. We were in church together. We were serving in church together. We were having conversations around all of that with our kids. Um, We were calling them to sacrifice as a part of all that. That was all exposing. That was creating the need for conversation. Um, And that was, I mean, that's a ton of time and energy. But the interesting thing is if you sow in that season, then you begin to reap some dividends for that, hopefully, as your kids get older. And um, and it doesn't always work 100% that way, but I would say you reap, you reap dividends, even if it, they're not spiritually exactly where you want them to be. If you have a human being who knows how to be with other people, right. have a conversation, engage, they've been trained in all that, Right. then your life's going to be better. You're going to reap later right. where you sow.
2: Yeah, we talked about in our home being a fully... Functioning member of society. Yeah, that's exactly and that's right. what we're doing today. We're training you to be a fully functioning member of society. But I think this idea of of discipline um, is is a is a misnomer. We use it we 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 misunderstand it too in relationships within the church. When we talk about discipline, we don't really see our everyday relationships as part of formative discipline, mm-hmm. spiritual formation, but being made into the image of Christ, growing our devotion. So when we talk about disciplining your kids, it's almost always bad stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, are you disciplining your kids? Oh, I don't know. Should we spank or should we not spank? It's like, no. That you're right, You're asking no, the wrong you're question. Done. I was gonna say you're done. If right. that's what that's you the wrong think. question. Yeah. 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 Time out. Uh, count to three. I heard all these things. We can't. We should do this. We shouldn't do this. No, you're missing the point. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there is yes. We got to have a, a conversation around that. But what happens bef- before that? And and you know, so you have to have times of times of peace. Where you're willing to have those difficult conversations, mm-hmm. but because you're so tired, when you have those like quiet times of peace, it's like, well, that's the last thing we want to talk about is intentional parenting, right? But that's yeah. really where you make you make you make hey, that's where you yeah. that's where you take ground,
1: yeah. And just simple things like you don't have to. This is what I would suggest is that you don't have to go looking for those opportunities. I think today I have, I hear people talking about. Trying to create all these events. And because we had not had ceremony as a part of our culture, we're not a part of a traditional culture. People come untethered. But mm-hmm. this is what I would say is, the breakfast table is a great opportunity to train. right? A meal to eat something that is not your preference. That's a great opportunity to train. To show respect for somebody who served me by preparing this meal. Um, to sit at a table together with other people who had different days, some of who were in a good mood and a bad mood, And to stop what I'm thinking about, pray, give thanks for this food, and then create an environment where people can actually have a conversation. Just the mealtime with young children, you know? So when I hear parents say, oh, we can never go out to eat, or when I hear parents say, I mean, I, don't, I, I can't eat at the table. I have to feed my children and get rid of them so I can eat. We eat after our kids go to bed. You're, <laughs> right. I, I believe you're wasting a huge opportunity to discipline your children, to teach them to be a part. And discipline is disciple. Is This is an opportunity for us to be together, to receive something with gratitude, to humble myself, to, to take something that maybe would not be my favorite mm-hmm. and to not throw a fit about it, you know? I'm tired, or I want to get up and go play, but we're going to sit. Now, you can carry all that too far, but that's just bedtime. Right. Take a bath. Don't create chaos out of that. Put my toys away. Get in bed, and then have my imagination captivated as I go to bed. Sing a song about who God is and what God has done. I'm disciplining my thoughts around now the day is at a close and we're going to ask God to forgive us for the things that we've done that we shouldn't have done that way. And you heard me speak to your mom that way, and I shouldn't have done that. And I'm asking God to forgive me. I'm, your mom and I are going to make that right before we go to bed tonight. That's discipline. That's discipling you. And, and that's just waking up and going to bed. Um, all of those are things. Going to bed on a schedule, except for when you make an exception to it. That's discipline. And so if, you, if you're doing those sorts of things with your children when they're young, you're equipping them. Right. You know, you're not being indulgent to them. And you're not explaining everything to them because mm-hmm. you don't have time to.
2: So thinking through different stages, I mean, we've kind of been jumping around a little bit in, in developmental stages. But you said up until your kids were preteen, like 12. Right. Where you do a lot of that work. So this age range, that's a real sweet spot that we're trying to identify as the church where we really want to come alongside parents and give mm-hmm. them some additional tools. We're thinking that's ages 9, 10, somewhere in there. Sure. Why Why that
1: age, do you think? Well, I mean, what, what we seem to be hearing in student ministry is mm-hmm. that um, – just because of exposure. If you're not really intentionally in the game by middle school, um, and if you're not capturing your your children's their moral imagination, their spiritual imagination, if you're not equipping them with self-mastery by that age, it's really difficult to make up ground afterwards. That does seem to be different culturally Mm -hmm. now. And... So it just seems like in this season of what we've talked about at times as establishing authority, that there's a God and you're not him. It's one of the first things we teach in Fusion is to be under God's authority um, and then to be able to experience a glad-hearted obedience that I'm okay to be a child and not be in charge and not be worried about things that are too great for me. I read that psalm this morning. Have a weaned and quieted soul um, where I'm calm and I can receive instruction and I can receive comfort. That If you haven't learned how to do that by the time you're 9 or 10 years old, it it gets really difficult. Um, And our culture is not helping people learn how to do it. I mean, people are living in anxious toil. Mm-hmm. And um, and we want... There there are a bunch of other things coming down the, the pipe after that that it's important for us to, to by that season, we want to help parents to have won in that way mm-hmm. and to have equipped their kids in that way. Um, because the things that come subsequent to that, I used to talk about it as do this handle this, and what do you think about this? So when my kids were little, um, I wanted them to be good at glad-hearted obedience to what they were told to do. Um, as they began to get more into middle school, I wanted them to begin to be able to be entrusted with responsibilities without specific instruction and for them to carry something and have a sense of, this is my job to own and now I'm accountable for whether I did this effectively. It's my job to remember, not my parents' job to remind. I wanted to transition to all of that. And then once they began to get into their teen years, I wanted to be having real conversations about, well, what do you think about this? What would you like to do mm-hmm. if you had a future, you know? But they have to have already had their imagination. They have to be, have been humbled by doing some real things and they have to know what some of their strengths and weaknesses are at that point too, you know. Um, One of my sons was having a conversation with another guy in a summer job and this guy was, um, he'd been raised in a Christian home and he was about 18 years old and he's an outlier. But my son was talking to him about what he'd like to do with his future. And he's like, you know, I think I'd like, I might like to be a professional baseball player. And so he was like, well, I have a brother who's a professional baseball player. And this guy was like, yeah, I mean, just, he's like, so are you on a baseball team? He was like, no. <laughs> and, and, and my son came home. He was, he was this, this guy was that. That's an extreme example mm-hmm. of it, right? But if you get into high school age and you don't have some sense mm-hmm. of what, well, it's, it's like a form of child abuse. right? This is a young man who's ill-equipped with where he fits into the world. And he's just not been equipped by his parents, who so I'm sure are good folks, you know, who care about him. Right. But he's just not prepared. And so I think that process of having been humbled, having carried responsibility, figured out what kind of where you fit a little bit, and now think, well, knowing who you are and what you're doing, what would you like to do? Where would you like to go to college? Where would you – there's a lot of work that's involved in the early years, and someone, someone doesn't just wake up knowing that stuff. Right.
0: Bill, there's a ton of resources on our website at resources.gracechurchsc.org for parenting. Um, could you maybe close land the plane with us and just maybe just commission us as parents on you know what would what would the next if you could change one thing in your parenting or do something right now in your parenting for the next thirty days? You know what would you what would you, just a couple steps that a couple thoughts you would advise us on.
1: That's a good question. I, I think if don't overreact, first of all. So this is, I think, one of the difficulties is if, if you realize you're behind or you're not as engaged as you need to be, the first thing is to stop and reflect. And um, part of humility is just to own your piece uh, and not go try to fix everything at once. Um, and so I would say that that's a big thing. Um, you got to know your personality a little bit that the second thing is, um, if, if you're married, have a conversation with your spouse and, and get on the same page and, and in biblical community, do that, go have a conversation with people. I mean, Rachel and I, when we were trying to parent our kids, we had a number of seasons where we came up against some obstacles where we could not get on the same page. And we would go to our biblical community and say, we are not in agreement on this. Mm -hmm. And I think this, and she would say what she thinks, and we would invite other people into that. And we had a couple of seasons where we had about six months where we had to do some really intentional work to figure out how to get on the same page and really trust one another and hear what each other's concerns were. And so you got to get on the same page as best you can. And, um, and then depending on the age of your children, if you have teenagers, um, you got to go acknowledge to them, hey, these are some of the things that we're thinking and, and be vulnerable with them. Um, if you... If you don't, if, you're, if your kids are younger, then it's, it's simpler. Um, but take advantage of the resources that are around you and spend time getting on the same page. That's the thing I would say. When you have young children, get your imagination captivated and get a vision for, for what you want your family to look like because um, you're not going to answer for whether or not your family look like my family. You're gonna answer for what what you did with what God gave you. And you gotta, you're not gonna be able to point to someone else, and say, Well, I did what they told me. You know, that, that's not how that works. Like you gotta own the responsibility God entrusted to you with the gifts that God gave you. And I and I think that's the important thing. I did not, I underestimated the role of gifting and personality in parenting. So I was real free to tell people what to do in some particular things. When I was younger as a teacher, and I regret that now because you got you to gotta do what you are gifted to do. We all have the same responsibility to disciple our children. We, we all want the same outcome want our children to walk with Jesus and be equipped to live fruitful lives in the world to make the world a better place. That is our job, and you got to figure out how to do that. But there are things that God's going to hold me accountable for that he gave to me that he didn't give to you or he didn't give to you, Mo. And then there are things that God gave to y'all that, that he didn't give to me. And so we could judge one another as parents, which I think happens a lot to make ourselves feel better about one another. But in reality, that's that's the wrong standard. You You got to use the gifts that God gave you. And then we as the church have to come alongside one another and help fill in the gaps, you know? And I think that's, if I want people to do anything, I want people to think about it in that way. And then, but if you don't go take the opportunity and take the resources that God has given you through your community, and you don't humbly address these issues, then you are gonna, you're going to regret it. And even if nothing else, even if things turn out great for your kids, but you miss the opportunity to have the relationship with your kids that you could have had, then you're going you're gonna to be full of regret over that even if it goes well for them. and um, Because you're gonna have missed the kind of community you could have um, with your children. And most of your relationship with your kids is gonna be as adults. You, you only have them as small and impressionable for a very brief period of time. And then they're just gonna be adults that love you and respect you or don't for, the, for decades, God willing, hopefully. And and they get to choose whether they want to be friends with you or not be friends with you. And so and you get to choose whether these are people that I want to go on vacation with, you know. Yeah. That's one of my new things is I'm trying to parent in such a way that I help produce people that make my vacation better. <laughs> I think that's a that does sound real spiritual, but it's like I'm trying to do my part to help ensure that this is somebody I would enjoy spending a week with, mm. and I'm trying to be someone and grow to be someone that they would enjoy spending a week with. Mm. That kind of cuts through some stuff.
2: Yeah, and it, and there's a lot of irony in that we spend – we are tempted to spend a lot of time when they're teenagers trying to be their friends Yeah, without thinking what we have to do when they're teenagers so that we can have decades of friendship later on.
1: No, that's, that's exactly right. And I can just tell you, between, I would say – 17 and 19. Now, with one of my sons, he needed me in that period and he knew where he needed me. And so it wasn't as complicated for him. But for three of my four, 17 and 19, they just had a hard time believing that what I was telling them was true. You know, I remember describing a situation to one of them. And I could tell he was rolling his eyes. I said, You think I'm lying to you? He said, I just think you're exaggerating to make a point. I don't really think it's that big a deal, which I'm prone to do. Anybody's listening to me teach, you know that. I like hyperbole. But then we got through his third year of college and I said, Hey man, was I exaggerating on that point? He said, You were not. (laughs) You know. But at the time it was I was trying to I knew what was coming for him because I'd lived it. Right. You know? And so I think you gotta be willing in that moment. But I had credibility at 21 yeah. that I did not have at 18 because he had lived through those years. He's like, no, you were hundred percent telling me the truth, man. I wouldn't hear you. I wouldn't have believed it. Mm. So I do. Th- that is definitely a point, um, to be considered for sure. Mm.
0: Well, this has been great. You've given us a great, some good thoughts on what it looks like to parent. And so thank you for being here and sharing with us. Anything else you want to add?
1: No, man. No, I'm, I'm good. I've probably said a little more than I should. I'm kind of regretting some of it already.
0: (laughs) Well, no, we appreciate it. Thanks so much.
1: Thanks, Bill.